Welcome to the Impact Investing Podcast from Circa 5000. I'm Matt Latham. And I'm Tommy Gillicuddy. Remember, nothing in this podcast is financial advice, and when investing, your capital is at risk. Enjoy the episode. Morning, Thomas. Good morning, Matthew. How are you? It's not too bad. How are you? You know, great. Sunny outside. I'll have to do another heatwave special soon. <laughs> Every week. Every week. Um, yeah, so we're back, episode eight, and it's part two of... The most powerful man in the world. Most powerful man in the world. Is that what we call seven? Not seven? Matt Latham, despite what everyone was emailing and saying. Is that what? We- um, episode seven, we forgot to mention that people can get in touch. Yeah. So podcast at circa5000.com. Yeah. And Tom, I know you're always interested in chart news. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't remember the numbers, but roughly. Roughly speaking. We were flying high at 56 in the Danish investing Podcast charts. I know a little week. bit of Danish, you know that? No. Tack mein Venner is a thank you, my friends. Did you just look that up then? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so this week's part two. Um, last week we spoke about the inflation reduction bill mm-hmm. in the US, um, and we said that it was it was a big breakthrough. It hadn't yet passed. Um that has now passed, and we'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, and we said we'd look at uh, a bit more about the relationship between big oil and politics, particularly in the US, yeah. um, and how you get to a point where climate bills and anything seemingly positive for the climate are fought tooth and nail. Yeah. Um, and there's very vocal um, opposition from them, uh, from business, yeah. politics, um, and and how that that's come to be, yep. um, and as promised, we didn't do it last week. We'll try and sort of go back to what this means for you as a long term impact investor, mm-hmm. and how you should think about um, this whole relationship between politics and, and oil and energy and business and tax as an investor, yep. and, and and whether that means you should be doing anything with your investments. So. Should we recap on on the Inflation Reduction Bill? Yeah, so Inflation Reduction Act um, has passed. It just got over the line. Kamala Harris with the casting vote, as we as we thought it might be. But what it, that meant was all the all the Democrats turned up and voted in favour. Um, and uh, your man Joe Manchin, the most powerful man in the world when it comes to climate change, proving pivotal there. So that means now that there's going to be 369 billion worth of climate funding and incentives for companies and uh, and households. In America, biggest climate bill um, the world has has ever seen. So, a huge step um, in the right in the right direction, um, and uh, and it's great to see it see it finally passed. the the um, The bill um, was obviously aimed at inflation reduction. It was less clear initially how it would be linked to inflation, but the argument is you're bringing down energy costs over the long term, and also reducing the deficit. and uh, and, pl- and a few people now have come out. Um, um, Moody's, who we talked about before uh, before the podcast. Have come out and said it's going to be positive um, for inflation and add to, to GDP long term, um, but it seems that the, the 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 opinion on that is definitely still split along political lines. It seems like in the US whether it's going to be good for inflation in the economy or, or bad for the inflation and in economy in the long term. But it's passed, got it over the line, and it's a huge moment for the climate movement in the US and and around the world. Yeah, and and, and Chuck Schumer, who is the, the the lead Democrat in the in the in the. Uh, Senate. I watched a bit of his speech last night, and he was he was quite emotional. He was sort mm. of you know almost tearing up. 
and he was heralding it as like the bill that the public have been waiting for and demanding for for decades. Yeah. As in, there's been, you know, relatively strong and support for taking action on climate change for decades in yeah. in, in the US, um, despite, you know, maybe a, a, an external reputation of being, you know, sort of oil-guzzling nation and things yeah. like that. But, um, you know, and he was sort of saying that it was not only a, a massive milestone for the climate, but also just for... And for health, because obviously there was a lot, lot more than just climate in this this bill, but for for health in the US, and also just for faith that mm. politics can solve big issues, because yeah. it this not only has this bill been going back and forth for well over twelve months in 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 its previous form with the Build Back Better um, yeah. plan, but also just decades and decades of promises that weren't delivered yeah. on climate change and things like that. So. Yeah, it's um, it's being really sort of, uh, you know, the, the Democrats are really sort of going big on on the impact of this, and I think yeah. I don't think they're necessarily that far off in what they're saying either. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a huge moment, and you know, America being the second largest carbon emitter in the in the world, um, and um, one of the biggest economies in the world, whether we like it or not, in this country and outside of America, we need America to take these steps if we're going to get anywhere near tackling climate change. So yeah. hopefully, it's a signal for the rest of the world to, to kind of follow suit and, and take a similar path. Yeah, I think, you know, there was the whole argument became around inflation. Mm. <laughs> Will it have an effect on inflation or not? Um, and in that Moody's report that you mentioned there, Tom, you know, there was, they just sort of, when you read it, it's sort of like things that are saying are, are obvious as well. Like mm. not only is does this just have an effect on immediate term inflation or even long-term infl- inf- inflation if you start to, you know, make energy more affordable, et cetera, et cetera and, and that type of thing, but... What about the physical costs of not dealing with climate change? Mm, yeah. As in the impact of crop failures, the impact of flood damage, the impact of insurance premiums rising, the, the impact of dealing with the extreme heat mm. for more and more people, the impact of um, mass immigration, the impact on agriculture, yeah. tourism, etc. I mean, yeah. like you can talk about whether <laughs> whether, you know, immediate energy price price is going to go down or up, but what is the actual real cost to the economy of not dealing with climate? And yeah. and and Moody's make the point that this bill will add two point seven percent to GDP by mm. twenty one hundred, which yeah. may seem like a far out uh, date, but you know what it means is it's going to have long lasting real impact yeah. on the economy in the US. Yeah. So, seeing all the critiques, like in a way, this is the first. Not only is it, is it a major step for climate change, but it's a major step for proper long-term thinking from a political standpoint because yeah. all the critiques of it from the Republican side of the debate in America about in the short term, it could pose some problems for the US and inflation. But what, what they're trying to do here is, is secure the year 2100, yeah. Yeah. you know, in terms of GDP, in terms of um, economic sustainability, in terms of climate sustainability. So it's the, it's the first thing I've seen from a major you know, Western government in what seems like forever, take like a multi-decade approach to a policy that's gone through. And it isn't just designed to try and get Joe Biden, the Democrats through, uh, elected again in, in a yeah. few years' time. It's something that hopefully can have ramifications that run through generations and prepare us for the long-term future. So it's a welcome kind of change in terms of short-termism in favour of long-termism. Yeah. So, you know, we hinted on it there a little bit, but this took a really long time to pass multiple climate bills, have come and gone. Multiple presidents have come and gone with promises to do stuff on mm-hmm. climate change. Um, 
you know, this this bill this bill in itself could have been fifty percent bigger in terms of yep. what it did on climate change. We discussed that last week, and the main blocker was this guy Joe Manchin three Joe Manchin the third, um, and you know he's clearly a guy who's in the pocket of of big oil firms, and he's got a background in in he's got a coal family coal business, all the rest of it yeah. that we said last week, and um, you know he has a he has a weekly meeting with Exxon, and brings on to yeah the the next part of what we want to talk about today, which is uh, a documentary series on the BBC called Big Oil versus the World, yeah, and the sort of headline for that is what do you, what do you do when you find out that the product you make threatens the entire planet yeah and uh we're going to talk a bit about that now yeah i think it's um so last week we talked about how it was surprising to see the the current exxon mobile ceo darren woods come out and say that the, that the inflation reduction act was a step in the right direction and um that came out after we'd been watching big oil versus the world and everyone in the in the circuit team had been watching it as well i think it's a great documentary there's a bunch of stuff in there that that you may have known the headlines too, which we'll kind of run through, but there's a lot of finer detail, which really, really kind of demonstrate why we're in this situation we are in today, why there's, why there's a need for an Inflation Reduction Act in the US uh, currently, and how the debate, whether in the US or uh, um, the climate debate globally, has infected our own debate in the UK and how we think about the transition to net zero. So it's a three-part documentary. We'd recommend you know everyone to go and watch it. Um, but the, it's broken into three segments. The first is denial. Um, the second is doubt. And the third is delay. And it's how primarily ExxonMobil have, um, have delayed um, and cast doubt and cast denial over the climate movement from the 1970s onwards to today. And the, the, the first episode, Denial, is all about how ExxonMobil's own internal climate science, um, uh, climate scientists predicted with alarming accuracy what was going to happen over the next few decades when it came to, to climate change. And so the, 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 the climate scientists within ExxonMobil presented to the ExxonMobil management all this key research. And at the time, they were doing a lot of research on transitioning ExxonMobil's business yeah. in the long term to hydrogen, renewable energy, yeah. uh, even nuclear. Well, Exxon different- had decided it wanted to be an energy business. Yeah, it just was a conglomerate. Yeah. And they were, they, you know, they, so they open book went and decided to, to research yeah. uh, what, what, you know, all the different forms of energy basically yeah. and their impacts and how they could make them viable or otherwise effectively. Yeah. yeah. And, and for, for reasons that perhaps become more evident as, as the documentary series goes on and as time goes on, um, but really to do with the, the, the pain of the cost of transition and the immediacy of, of how they could earn profits carrying on doing what they were doing. The ExxonMobil management kind of ignored it and completely shunned it and, 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 and eventually basically sacked all those people and hid all the research in a, in, in a box, in a lockbox and didn't tell anybody about it. And they did that. And at the same time, they started this huge campaign of denial where they were spending you know, billions of pounds, billions of dollars a year to lobby um, U.S. Uh, politicians, mainly mainly Republicans, um, about the, the the detrimental um, um, the, the the fact that really not detrimental impacts of, of transition to climate change that came later, but the fact that it didn't really exist and it was kind of a hoax back in the seventies and eighties. Yeah, the initial thing was this doesn't exist. Ignore it. The best thing we can can do is keep doing what we're doing today. Yeah, and, and they were very successful in that. I mean, in, in the in the lead up to the uh, Kyoto. Yeah, agreement. Basically, Exxon lobbied very, very heavily senators 
and and uh, went very very heavy on press in the US and basically got a bill through in the US that mm. that was unanimous ninety five to to nil yeah. vote that was basically blocking the US signing up to any sort of universal yeah. agreement to bring down carbon emissions yeah. and all on this basis of this narrative that they'd constructed around the science is is not. You yeah, know, it's, it's not settled. It's not settled. Yeah. It's sort of uncertain. Yeah. And also around this, like, moving to reduce carbon and moving to reduce use of energy would just destroy any sort of meaningful mm. economic progress, any sort of social progress. You know, the, the, the CEO at the time, a guy called Lee Raymond, wrote this this article called Climate Change don't ignore the facts, which is... <laughs> which is the opposite of what you think it is. <laughs> <laughs> and it was basically just sort of just a complete denial of of mm. um, the basically a presentation that the cost of transitioning away from fossil fuels would would cause people to starve would cause you know yeah. would all these ridiculous claims and and uh, you know it just set the tone for yeah. for the long term confusion and debate around climate. I think. Yeah, one of the key themes and uh, of the of the documentary is. Um, in that episode one, the denial, they interviewed Chuck Hagel, who was the who was the Republican um, that was lobbied most heavily by Exxon and the oil companies, who they managed to convince that this was all a complete hoax. And he was one of the architects of the Bird-Hagel resolution that you just mentioned that got that 95 nil win and meant that the US didn't go into the, the Kyoto Protocol. Um, at the end of episode one, he admits to uh, the fact that he was lied to. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, Al Gore gets introduced to the documentary and he calls it basically, you know, paramount, test them out to a, uh, to a war crime. What happened yeah. given the, the ramifications of, uh, uh, of what went on after that. So one of the themes is that the people that have architected these lies, um, whether it's PR companies, these fake institutes that were set up, whether it's Republican senators, all admitting eventually that they've been lied to. Um, and, yeah. and it's been a huge crime against humanity. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, Chuck Hagel actually says in the documentary, it, if if he'd known what he'd known now, yeah. it would have put the United States on a whole different track. It's cost the country and it's cost the world is the quote that he uses yeah. at, the, at the time. And there's another there's a there's another great quote on on the documentary which basically says, you always want to make the assumption that basically everything's a meritocracy, i.e., mm. the, the good argument will prevail, and and actually truth has nothing to do with it yeah it's it's um you know if you say something enough times people will begin to believe it or at least some people will begin to believe it and that's exactly what the strategy was here which is basically just if we keep saying well do we know it's not sure what about the economic impact it's going to cost jobs it's Mm. going to cost you money blah, blah blah if we keep just feeding these messages over and over and over again then there'll be sufficient doubt yeah that we'll just you know, it's easier to not do something than it is to do something. Yeah, exactly. So, this, and this is the this is how you get into the second episode, which is the doubt phase, which I think is probably the the most effective phase of what Exxon and the oil companies did, which was it came at a time where it was Bush versus Gore for the presidency. Yeah, and obviously we all know Al Gore has, has campaigned heavily on the climate. And his whole career since being in public office has been about the climate. But in order to beat him, Bush adopted kind of some of his approach. Yeah, and took some of that climate approach with him. But then when he when he got into power, that kind of completely completely changed, and it's and, and a lot of it anchored back to Exxon funding and creating something called the Cato Institute, yeah. which was a conservative pro oil kind of think tank that was funded with tens of millions, and it was a a PR machine fronted by on the surface scientists, but not really climate scientists, and not really anybody that had any credibility within climate science. But the public didn't know that; they just saw scientist and the people delivering the message was 
delivering. Yeah, but it's not settled. There's going to be inflation problems. It's going to ruin American jobs and competitiveness. Um, it's going to ru- ruin our standing in the world versus, say, China and other major economies. And they made it all about the economy and jobs and, and, and losing competitiveness. And so the public opinion just started to shift entirely to, um, well, we can't do this because because of all those things. So the, the science may, may may now be kind of in the middle. Some are saying it's it's yeah. it's bad. Yeah. Some are saying it's not bad. Whether or not it's good or bad, it's all about jobs in the American economy. We yeah. can't damage the American economy, yeah. and that became the debate. Basically, it was all about that. Yeah, and and <clears throat> George Bush actually came into power promising like carbon reduction acts. Mm. That, that if you if you look back on the footage they show in that documentary, <laughs> that election campaign was quite a sort of look. We both want to deal with climate action. No, yeah, we both yeah, want to yeah. deal with climate We're change. We're both pro-climate. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like it was, it was almost, it wasn't what Al Gore had expected, which he thought, I'll be the, I'll be the pro doing something about climate change candidate and Bush will be the, the anti, because Bush was a, an oil guy and all yeah. the rest of it previously. It wasn't, Bush sort of said, yeah, yeah, climate change. Of course I'm going to do something about that. <laughs> you know, that, and, and, he, and he actually appointed legitimate people to, to deal with yes. it. Um, a woman called Christine Whitman as head of the uh, Environmental Protection Agency. And then this attack just happened. They called it uh, eco-extremism. And, you know, it's one of these great sort of like political, like, yeah. you know, catchphrases, catchphrases yeah. that just destroys people. Um, and not only did they destroy this sort of like cap-and-trade carbon uh, reduction bills and things like that, but they just destroyed it from the agenda mm. for the entire Bush presidency. Basically, it's yep. just sort of eco extremism. You're going to destroy jobs. It's not best for America. It's not, you know, and they'd put arguments out there like, well, life expectancy is increasing. So how can there possibly be a climate thing? Mm. Like just mad arguments where they'd pick <laughs> a random bit of data that had nothing to do with, with any of the argument and just sort of use it as an anti, yeah. uh, climate action yeah. attack. It's just, it was just... I think this is where you can relate most of the, like, the the current debate within the UK, which is the transition to net zero, which which had, you know, um, which tra- had cross-party backing. But you've seen a lot of the press that all the arguments about inflation, energy security, jobs, like short-term economic pressures are all that you, are all the critiques aimed at it. Um, and that kind of stifles the debate and you get people go, well, I mean, there's, there's enough doubt to really not have any action, not really yeah. do anything about it. And it's all from, it's all from the, the Exxon Mobil funded um, institutions and, and PR and how they lobbied in the seventies, eighties and nineties. It's still infecting the UK debate to this day. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a, there's a guy, uh, the interview guy called John Brown, who's the former CEO of BP, who is now working as a, like a, a net zero. Yeah, he's pro-climate. Pro-climate guy now. He kind of was at the time, wasn't Yeah, he? and he, he sort of came out and said, look, the, you know, we accept that humans are responsible for climate change. Yeah. We accept that it's fossil fuels is driving it. Um, you know, we're ready to transition. Look, BP at the time and still now are not perfect. Yeah. By any stretch of the imagination, we've talked about them before. But, yeah. but the point is, is that that was like a real sort of... Mm. Uh, amazing moment for for, yeah. for uh, Exxon and 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 John Brown says that Lee Raymond, who was the CEO of Exxon at the time, basically said our responsibility is to only abide by the law mm. and maximize profits. <laughs> In other words, as long as we are operating within the law or you know f- enough within the law, yeah. then we shouldn't consider about what's true or yeah. false or whatever. It's for the government to tell us to take action on this. It's for the government to stop us pumping oil out the ground. It's for yeah. the government to do that. And while that's still legal, 
our job's to maximise profits. So our job's to pump as many barrels of oil out the ground as possible yeah. and sell them for the highest price. Yeah, it's the, it's the lack of consideration for any externalities from, the, from their operations. Yeah. And oil companies historically, and you know, in the majority, honestly, still to this day, still put all the externalities on the average communities in which they operate, governments and people, not themselves. The externalities is carbon, is methane, is, is, is all the pollution and the emissions. They don't ever consider that their own responsibility. They consider that their own responsibility to be what you said, profit within the law, basically. And that's it, starts and ends with that. Yeah. And and the documentary moves on to sort of the final phase, which is 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 delay. Yeah. And actually, um, again, you know, Obama comes in to power and he's on this wave of, you know, this is the moment where history turns and mm. we're going to do something. You can look back and you can tell your grandkids that this was the moment that we started to take action on climate change. But actually what quickly happens is that mm. they, the, 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 the science now is so overwhelming that it's very hard to do the, the complete sort of denial or mm. the doubt. Mm. And so they move on to this delay phase, which is, well, let's put the fossil fuels in order of worst to least worst. Yeah. So it's sort of let's phase off coal oil and then this new thing this new thing we've discovered <laughs> clean <laughs> gas clean fuel natural gas <laughs> yeah. which is sort of like you know they make the point that where's the word natural come from yeah there's nothing natural about it it's not organic artisanal sort of craft small batch gas yeah it's it's yeah. it's the same it's as natural as coal yeah it's and you know the, the point is is that again this this sort of um you know patriotism around around uh, being energy secure in the US mm. comes in and Obama sort of gets behind the, the the natural gas movement and says we've got 100 years worth of energy supply in the ground at home. And the, the, the angle on carbon is that, um, you know, burning natural gas is less carbon intensive than burning coal. Yep. But the bit that they... That, that they then later discover or, or that later becomes apparent, and that's when Obama turns on the, on the gas industry slightly, is that methane leaking into the atmosphere is 80 times worse than yeah. than carbon yeah. in terms of warming intensity, you know, intensity of, of uh, warming the planet. Yeah. So yeah, it's interesting in the in the, uh, in the documentary they, they, they interviewed the founder of the Sierra Club, which is a huge U.S.-based environmental campaigner. And during you know the 2010s, um, he was kind of infiltrated by the oil lobby, um, who convinced him that uh, natural gas was just this transition, you know, transition fuel, transition source of energy with much um, lower you know carbon intensity than uh, than than, um, than traditional coal and other and other fossil fuel methods. And uh, he admits that he had no idea about the methane angle and kind of you know, destroyed his own reputation during that period. Um, but as you said before, Obama kind of finally woke up to that eventually. And he was, a, he was uh, instrumental in spearheading the 2015 you know, Paris Agreement, which got signed, which was at that time, you know, the biggest step forward on climate that we'd ever had. Unfortunately, we, we kind of know what happens next, which was Trump came in, withdrew from the Paris Climate Accord in 2017, which was finalized in 2010. And Trump, during his time, basically undid every single last thing that Obama did on the climate. And that's why we're in this moment that we're in now with the Inflation Reduction Act, is to yeah. try and get the US and the world back on the track that it was on when we finally got the, the Paris Climate Agreement yeah. pushed over the line in 2015. Yeah, so, I mean, look, it's a, it's a really interesting documentary. It's really timely, I think, with this, with this uh, Inflation Reduction Act that's gone, gone through in the US now. I think the back and forth between, you know, a guy backed by the oil lobby... Republicans against the Democrats, um, you know, doubt being cast about whether, um, 
you know the the increase in taxes will destroy the economy and whether it's worth the cost to transition to you know clean energy and all the rest of it those those same debates are being had today as they were yeah. 40 years ago it's the same people backing those those debates it's the same it's the same parties on either side yeah um and you know maybe tom we talked about the most powerful man in the world on climate being a mansion but maybe it's whoever's the current ceo of of uh exxon maybe it's darren woods yeah um because they seem to they seem to just be able to infiltrate Mm. politics in a way that controls it effectively we've said this before you know whether it comes to you know investing in the climate movement whatever you do need those incumbent existing industries to get on board with the transition because they are the the, the, the biggest weight of, of energy producers in the world. And so we, we do we do need them to change their thinking. So hopefully Darren Woods has started to do that with his latest comments. Yeah, and I just want to actually say to avoid us getting sued, which we can't we can't afford. We're already forking out for this studio, you know, with but we're actually the, in Matt's bedroom. <laughs> the Exxon uh obviously deny that they've ever misled on climate change yeah. and they they say that what they said was always based on the evidence and the science yeah. at the time but you know we've yeah, we've obviously given our opinion we're just on commenting on the, what the bbc said yeah su- <laughs> it's not us it's the bbc sue them <laughs> um so yeah so lessons in terms of where we're at yeah um you know i think it's i think it's important to to uh understand that the age of fossil fuels is not over. It's not going to be over no. for, for, for a while. And, you know, every step forward can always be taken with a, can always be countered by a step back. And, you yeah. know, this this act's gone through now and it's it's huge and it's colossal, but all it takes is for Trump to get in again and it yeah. could all be undone. Yeah. And then you're closer to the deadlines, but you've got more work to do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Reasons to be reasons to be positive in a way. I think the lessons from from you know the documentary and the Inflation Reduction Act are getting passed. For me, is the fact that the climate science from the seventies, eighties, nineties, whatever decade, but the seventies was the beginning of it. Some of the most accurate scientific predictions we've yeah. ever had about the real world. We have a really deep understanding of the world around us and how our actions impact that world around us. And so I think that's hugely important as we look about how we tackle the climate, uh, the climate situation looking ahead. Yeah. Um, so that's one huge positive. The other huge positive for me is even though Exxon and oil companies have tried to delay the progress on climate change for, for, for decades, that in that time, the, the cost of solar and wind energy are now some of the cheapest forms of energy that we have. There's yeah. been huge strides forward in electric vehicles and all other areas of, uh, of, uh, of climate solutions. So despite the will of the incumbent industries, we're still making massive progress. So with this bill finally passed, I think it can accelerate that progress. Um, and what you've seen in the past when it comes to you know public and private collaboration, government and private sector is, the government can open a door for, a pri- for the private sector mm-hmm. to really flood into and create, uh, create solutions to problems and scale them. That's what that's where the that's where impact investing comes in. Yeah. But I think it's needed the 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 US government to take to take it um to take it over the line so that now the private sector can really kind of really flourish and uh, we can start to accelerate the transition to a to a low carbon future properly. Yeah, so as a as a long term impact investor, um there's been a couple of well, in in the funds that, that we yeah. offer through Circa, we've we've seen an immediate impact last week yeah. and, and this week, didn't we, Tom? Yeah, so if you look at the, at the clean energy fund that we that we uh, that we have on uh, in Circa, you know, one day last week it was up seven percent 
you know, on this news and it's up around 37% year to date. I mean, the, the, the year to date moves are both in, relate, in relation to this, you know, the Biden um, um, act getting, getting passed through and also in the, the shift to renewables because of the Russia-Ukraine situation. Yeah. But the, the, these are short-term moves and we're long-term investors. So how to think about those long-term from, from our point of view is, you know, what you're investing in with impact investments, you know, the spotlight here being, you know, clean energy is long-term structural shifts in society. Yeah. That's what the investing thesis is about. And these long-term structural shifts will need to be addressed, whether sooner or later. But long-term, the picture is is very is very much there for them to be um, for them to be themes in which you invest to achieve outsized returns over the long term. And they they are themes that are backed by these uh, by, by governments needing to act and society needed to transition. And this is a perfect example of both of those things happening and having an impact in the short term, which will have an impact on the world and ha- and how we operate in the long term too. Yeah, and I think the job's not done. You know, we've talked about markets pricing in things. The reason that that, the reason that fund jumped so much in a day is because people had written off that bit as not happening. So the fact that it was shock news and it was a surprise caused, and it was a surprise to the upside caused, caused money to flow into those companies and, and them to be valued, valued higher. But what it also say is the job's not finished. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this, this, will bring down carbon emissions by what 40% in yeah. the US but they still need to bring them down the, the rest of the way. Yeah. So, you know, you would hope that that you know, it may take another 10 years yeah. to get the next phase enacted, mm-hmm. but you'd hope that there's a, there's, there's definitely a a long-term mm. rationale for saying that well, you know, these companies are doing well when this comes through. There's got to mm. be more to follow at some point. Yeah. And if you're investing for a 10-20 year time horizon, then there's, there's an argument to, to stay the course on that. Yeah. This is clearly the benefit of being A, a long-term investor, but B, more specific to us, an impact investor, investing in these structural shifts in society that need to be addressed sooner rather than later. And this is an example of of, of, uh, of progress being made in the short term on a long-term issue. Yeah. The other the other point I'd like to make is that is that I think the argument for impact investing mm. goes back to that point I said earlier about when the Exxon CEO said, our job's to operate within the law. And beyond that, you know, it's just to to maximise profit. Yeah. I actually think that that's why impact investing is really important because you have to look at what the core of the mm. company is trying to do. Yeah. If their business is is just fundamentally not good for the people, planet, et cetera, et cetera, what they're likely to do is just stick to the minimum requirement yeah. And and some of these companies are obviously now playing the game with ESG and they'll score highly on ESG scores because they've got good governance and all the rest of it. Yeah. But actually, if you're wanting to really back long-term change, I think you have to go back to what the core business model of a company is mm-hmm. and not just mop up sort of sustainability uh, jargon that, that all companies pump out. You know, there's not a listed company on planet Earth. I don't think that doesn't have some yeah. sort of sustainability report. Yeah. Um, and and not go for just the press releases and not just go for the fact that they might have an ESG score or whatever, but actually look at what they're trying to do yeah. and then go back to what you were just saying then is stick to that long-term structural shift. Mm-hmm. So are they trying to do something good and are they going to be, is that going to hold true for the long-term or is it is it addressing a long-term issue? Yeah. Both of those in, in, in partnership, I think, make for a, for a sound investment case. Yeah. That's why proper impact investors look at the DNA of a company. And what I really mean by the DNA of the company is what product and service does it sell? Not what its corporate social responsibility statement says, not what its retrofitted sustainable or socially responsible 
mission says. It's about what products and services is it selling and who to. Yeah. That's how you ensure impact integrity. And I think that's how we can transition to a more sustainable world much sooner than if we just rely on the incumbent companies to change 1% each year. Yeah, and I think the other the other thing I'd, I'd, I'd uh, say is important to think, consider as an individual is you've almost got two votes as I see it. You've got your political vote where you have to sort of interrogate the party or the politician that you're voting for. And both are true. Look at Manchin. Mm. Manchin's a Democrat, yeah. but he's also the, the the individual guy is there going to go and back fossil fuels yeah. t- till kingdom come, basically. Yeah. But you've also got your vote as a, as a shareholder or as a potential shareholder. Mm-hmm. And I don't just mean voting at the company's AGM. Mm. I don't just mean actual shareholder voting, but I'm talking about where you elect to put your own money. Yeah. And I think, I think those, because the only thing other than the law that makes company CEOs act is mm. what's going to affect the share price. Yeah. So the more people that try and invest in a positive way, the more people that are vocal about that, and the more both political and almost financial pressure that combines together, this act is a good example of how that can work as well. Yeah. You know, political and, and sort of... Uh, private sector and financial come together. Yeah. I think that's where you should be considering as an individual mm-hmm. who you're voting for, party and person, and where you're putting your money. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we uh, wrap it up? Wrap it up. So look, thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, we we want to come back next week. Well, we will come back next week. We want to, and we hope we will. <laughs> with... <laughs> And we're going to move away from talking about climate change, yeah. I think, because you know we, we talked about impact investing, and we've done a lot. The heatwave special, these yeah. two parts on this in uh, climate change uh, bill in the US. We've talked a lot about not uh, about climate change, but we've not looked at what else impact mm. investing is about, and it's about a lot more than climate. Yeah, yeah, a whole world more um, along the lines of health, along the lines of social and economic empowerment. So we'll dig deep into those and bring those to life. So. You can get in touch, podcast at circa5000.com with any feedback or thoughts you may have. Tom, any more messages for our Danish listeners? Or? Um, I'm maxed out on my Danish. <laughs> is, is, no, I'm not even going to go there. I was, gonna, I was trying to guess some Danish, but I realise it's pretty hard to guess a language anyway. Okay, thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you. Impact Investing from Circa 5000. Thank you for listening to Impact Investing, a podcast brought to you by Circa 5000. Remember, when investing, your capital is at risk, and this podcast is not financial advice. If you like what you hear, then please remember to like, subscribe, and share the podcast.